From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, a tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you, a tremendous holy Thursday to each and every one of you as we are entering the sacred triduum. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Milady had some travel snafus, so he was not able to join us, but he sent us a pupil of his as a very ample replacement, and we will get to him. Those of you who are watching on YouTube and Facebook Live, get a little sneak preview. But if you'd like to be part of the program, give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five and we will even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five you can always send us an email that email address is open line at ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. And our host filling in for Father Brian Milady today is the ever-shrinking Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. Great to be back with you, Jack. Great. So listen, we're going to break from what we normally do here in this first segment. Gary, in the great state of Ohio, was gracious enough to hold through the breaks after called to communion with Dr. David Anders, so I'd like to take him right out of the gate. Gary, you are on with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Thank you very much. A uh, comment and a question. I really enjoyed what you said uh, about Romans 10.10, and I'd like to learn a little bit more about that, so I'm looking for a recommendation on a book, a pamphlet, a uh, a website uh, where I could get a better understanding so when that subject comes up, I'm not stumbling all over the place. Do you understand Romans 10.10, Deacon? Are you familiar with what he's talking about? Okay, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up right now, because obviously I wasn't here for the, last, uh, for the last segment, so I'm looking up Romans 10.10 now. That says, For a man believes with his heart and is so justified, he confesses with his lips and so is saved. All right. So uh, so obviously it's talking about salvation. Right. And he said, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. And you'll be saved. But for us as Catholics, you know, salvation is a process. We were saved because of what Jesus Christ did for us uh, on the cross. We are being saved right now and we will be saved. Right. So we see it as a, as a continuum, as a process. But I would recommend Scott Hahn. Uh, has a book about Romans, which is uh, fantastic. It goes into great detail into this. I'm not remembering the book off the top of my head, but I remember talking with him about this very verse, as a matter of fact, and uh, uh, he recommended his book to me on Romans. So that's what it, that's where I would go uh, first. Thanks so much. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 
833-288-3986. David writes in, what is the Catholic Church's view on fertility clinics and the services that they provide? Okay, so the the church um, uh, cannot support in vitro fertilization, okay, or it was called IVF. That's when uh, the process by where uh, eggs are are uh, extracted from a woman's ovaries. Actually, they give her a hormone which uh, overstimulates her ovaries to produce multiple eggs. Those eggs are then harvested and put into a petri dish where they're united with um, sperm from a donor, which may or may not be uh, the husband of the woman, and they are therefore they create um, babies. You know, they, they zygotes, blastocysts, embryos, what, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they're human beings at, early, at an early stage of development. They allow those cells to get to between an eight to ten cell division, and then they implant some of those fertilized eggs into the uterus of the woman. Some of them. Uh, so for the sake, let's just say they create 10 of them. They put three, uh, implant three inside the uterus of the woman. What happens to the other seven? They're either cryogenically frozen for use uh, for harvesting of stem cells later on, or they're thrown down the drain, right? Because human beings don't even count as high level as, as medical waste. The three that are implanted inside the woman, let's just say all three of them take. She's going to have triplets. But she only wanted one baby. Now they have to talk about the process of selective reduction. So they have to say, okay, which of these other two children are going to die so I can have the one which I think I deserve? You know, and that's not fair or just or right. And the church cannot condone that because of um, uh, the principle of uh, double effect. So that's a principle that says, you know, when you engage in an act and there's two outcomes, a good effect and a bad effect, right? And so, so what, what's the morality of engaging in that act when there are two counteracting uh, effects? And so the, this, the, the basic principle goes like this. Uh, the, act, the act itself cannot be intrinsically evil. So by the very nature of the act, it cannot be an evil act. The good effect must be intended, the evil effect tolerated. The third, the good effect cannot be brought about by an evil action. So you can't say, I'm going to do something good, but I'm going to do it by doing something evil. Uh, and then lastly, the good effect must be of equal or greater proportion than the, the, uh, any evil effect that may come about because of the act. So those are the principles that the church uses. What I would recommend is um, NAPRO technology, natural procreative technology, uh, which is something that's done out of, um, uh, o uh, out of Omaha, Nebraska. They do a fantastic job there at this at this uh, Paul the Sixth Pope Institute. Paul the Sixth Center. Institute, That's yeah. it. Yep. I, yep. Pope Paul the Sixth Institute. Fantastic resource for uh, natural procreative technology or NAPRO technology. I have personally sent couples there that were told that with traditional um, fertility clinics that they cannot have kids, therefore they should do IVF. They said no. You know, we we want to stand with our faith. I recommended the St. Paul Center to them. Uh, and they were able to conceive, you know? So God's ways are always better than our ways. Anton writes in, if God wasn't created, this is a good question, if God wasn't created, then what was he doing before he created the world? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so uh, God exists outside 
of creation. So, we, for example, people say, well, God created the universe. Then, where did, then who created God? Well, God exists outside of time, outside of creation, outside of the universe. So he creates everything that exists from nothing. You know, and it's not that what he was doing. You know, we, we, we want to couch that in human terms. Well, what was God doing before? Well, God is existence himself. So God just purely existed. Everything that creates is an overflow of God's love. You know, God couldn't keep the love that he has within himself to himself. And so everything that exists from the supermassive black holes to humanity to the smallest uh subatomic particle neutrinos were created as an overflow of God's immense uh, and, and beautiful love that he has for all of his creation. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Mike wants to know if non-Catholics can attend adoration. Oh, Absolutely. Oh, I, I would strongly encourage uh, anyone to for Eucharistic adoration. You don't have to be Catholic, because why is that important? We live in a society that is very uncomfortable with silence. You know, silence is is, is something because why? There's so much noise and distractions, and iPods and iPhones and television, and and I mean, I'm not saying those things are bad, but the thing is, when God speaks to us, God doesn't speak to us with the ears on the side of our heads. He speaks to us with what St. Benedict called the aurum cordis, or the ear of the heart, right? That's where God speaks to you. That's where God can touch you and change your life. But in order to hear that voice, you have to be quiet. That's why Psalm 46, verse 11 says, be still and know that I am God. Or, uh, and the word there for know is yalda in Hebrew, which is knowledge that is gained by experience. So you can translate that. Be still and experience God in the stillness, in the silence, and in the quiet. That's where you can listen to the voice of God and allow that voice to change your life. And since God has implanted his natural law in every single human being, regardless of religion, that's why they should go to adoration to embrace that silence and listen to how God wants to speak to them. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Lee in Louisiana, Linda in Dubuque, Iowa, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, we have all sorts of wonderful Triduum and Easter programming here on EWTN Radio, too numerous to mention. If you'd like to know more about the week that changed the world, you can find all of our programming at EWTN.com radio and click on schedule. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines at 833-288-3986 for Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Uh, first up is Lee in the great state of Louisiana listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Lee, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I have a question about suicide. I have an 18-year-old son who committed suicide. Uh, four years ago and my problem is as I never knew we had a problem of depression uh, he was a, a role model person uh, as good a Catholic as you could be and I come home and I have a, a child that's passed uh, I'd like to know what I know in my heart where my son is, but I'd like to uh, hear what the official, you know, what the Catholics truly believe about this. The church offers much hope, doesn't it, Deacon? Yes. First of all, I'd like to say how sorry uh, I am to hear about your son, Lee. Um, my daughter had a classmate. Um, a brilliant. He's been to our house. You know, he was at birthday parties with my kids when they were younger. Brilliant young man, actually, who who committed suicide. Um, and, uh, and and how painful that was for my daughter and for our, our family. So I, I, I sympathize there with you, Lee. Well, well, here's the thing. You know, God's in charge of life, and it is considered a mortal sin to take your own life, except that there are mitigating circumstances. So in your son's case, there was mental health issues there. OK, and and that would actually mitigate um, the uh, the the sin uh, of taking his own life. So he, he would not be culpable because of the mental health issues. That means it wasn't a, a, a freely chosen act um, in which he had full knowledge and deliberate consent of the will because the mental health issues uh, were, were part of that story. In fact, Lee, I know a priest in fact, when my mom was still alive, God rest her soul, when she was living in Montgomery, Alabama, there was a priest there who committed suicide. A priest. His fa- in fact, his father was a deacon at that parish. And he was so thrilled that his son was ordained and assigned to, to, you know, to he could serve with his son. And one day he didn't show up for mass. And, 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 and come to find out that he did have uh, very significant mental health issues that he was struggling with for his whole life. You know, so so take comfort in the fact, Lee, that um, you know God will not hold your son responsible, fully culpable for that act because of the mental health issues there. And so you can always rely on the incredible divine mercy and love of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Deacon, this is an area where um, you know the church is not uh, is not so rigid that it won't uh, listen to science. You know, but the church invented science. Yes. The inventor of the church invented science, and uh, as we've learned more in the area of psychology, the church has massaged its its teaching on these things, and, and really, uh, we can't speak to any individual's situation, obviously, right. but it's really, really hard when you know what we know about mental health now, it's really hard yeah. to think that anybody could get to a position where they could take their own life and be of of right mind enough for, to be fully culpable for that, huh? Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, my wife is a mental health professional, 
And, um, you know, obviously you can't talk specific about specific cases, but in general, we hear this kind of thing all the time. It's, it's almost at a point where, you know, uh, when someone is at that point of being suicidal, where they're, where, you know, it's almost impossible. There's not a mental health issue going on there. You know, from, from, from my experience in, in listening to my wife and, and others as, as well. So, um, you know, we got to take comfort in God's incredible divine mercy. Does that help, Lee? It does. It, it, that's what I was hoping I would hear. And as, as I say again, I know what was in my son's heart. And what yeah. I don't know was what was going on in his mind. But, uh, you know, but I, yeah, it does answer my question. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much. You're for most the phone welcome. Call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. One open line for you at 833-288-3986. Linda is in the Archdiocese of Dubuque in Dubuque, Iowa, listening on the EWTN app. And I would encourage everyone to pray for uh, Linda's Archbishop, uh, Bishop Jekylls, who has recently submitted his retirement papers due to some health issues. So please keep the bishop uh, in your prayers, as well as all of our uh, bishops. Linda, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I first want to say how excited I was to hear Deacon Harold's voice. And um, Deacon Harold, I miss you so much um, on EWTN. You're actually the reason that I started listening to EWTN years ago. Oh, God um, bless you. Well, you know that that hopefully that will change very soon. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'll pray for that. I'd be so thankful. Um, so, I I know from listening to you in the past that you are very knowledgeable on the Psalms. In fact, I I loved it when you would um, explain the Psalms, and I do love reading the Psalms. They're like poetry to me. Um, but I will say they confuse me. Um, as well, because um, as reassuring as they are, you know, there's often that theme in Psalms of, you know, um, smiting um, the author's uh, enemies. And <laughs> so if you could yes. just please explain how to keep all that in, in harmony, if you understand yeah, what I'm asking. So, oh, yeah, Linda, I, t- I totally get it. Yeah, so um, there's certain Psalms that are called imprecatory Psalms, or quote-unquote, cursing psalms not that it uses like four letter words or anything like that but because of what you brought out linda uh for example psalm 58 83 and 109 are not even included in the four week liturgy of the hours uh that's prayed by the church so priests and deacons in fact anybody can pray the liturgy of the hours but those three psalms are not included there are also other psalms like parts of psalm 110 Parts of Psalm 26, parts of uh, other parts of Psalms, where the kind of the 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 harsh nature of it uh, are are not are deleted from the uh, are deleted from the Psalms. So, for example, um, I use the full version of the Psalms myself. Uh, so, uh, for example, in Psalm 110, which is a messianic Psalm of fulfillment written by David, uh, where it talks about the you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, talking about the Messiah, it says. Um, He shall bring a judgment among the nations and heaps the bodies high. He shatters heads throughout the wide earth. So so when you hear like that, oh my goodness, that sounds so violent. But when you read St. Augustine's commentary on the Psalms, we have to read the Psalms, what's called allegorically, Linda. That means we have to see them through the lens of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about smiting the heads of our foes, 
we should be thinking about Jesus Christ conquering sin, conquering the forces of the devil, conquering the forces of evil in our in our culture and in our very lives. See, so so we use that language. It's very expressive and you know, uh, smashing he heads against the rock and thing like and things like that. But we have to think of those things as Jesus, by his uh, death and resurrection, conquering the forces of evil and sin in our life. So if we read them, what's called allegorically through the lens of what Christ has done for us, uh, then you know, I think it it. Uh, uh, it makes the psalm more powerful, at least for me, when I read it, that's the way that I look at it. And so it takes some of the edge off, but also it gives me courage that Jesus Christ will help me to conquer those things that separate me from his love. How's that, Linda? Oh, that's really helpful, because a lot of times people will say, read this allegorically. I don't really understand what that means. <laughs> so you explaining it just really gave me um, the ability to do that now. So thank you very much. You're most welcome. Awesome. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. You know, based on your background, do you ever hear the Psalms in your head with any kind of a Caribbean flair? <laughs> no. <laughs> that, no, I don't. That's that's a good question, but uh, but no. I've been, I've been praying the Psalms for over 40 years now, wow. you know, and I never get bored. I yeah. look forward to it every day because what's beautiful about it is that you know I, I'm I'm experiencing the Psalms differently now in my mid fifties than I was in my mid twenties, you know. Yeah. So different life experiences and the Psalms speak to every different aspect of your life. Next up is Charlie, a first time caller in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Charlie, you are on with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Thank you very much for taking my call. I just want to say uh, we're blessed by having good rain today and tomorrow. We've been in a drought, so this. Rain has really helped our area. So anyway, so my question is, uh, at, on Tuesday's Gospel, was one of the Gospels that, that, I think it was Luke, that had the version of the Last Supper. And in this version, it says that um, Jesus says, someone's going to betray me. Then all the apostles start saying, well, who is it going to be? And then uh, Jesus says, well, the person I give the morsel to will be the person that betrays me. Then he gives a marshal to, Ju to Judas. And then it says, uh, when Judas eats the marshal, Satan enters his body, and then uh, everything is going to take place. Well, the question is, did Judas not know he was going to betray him until he eats the marshal? And, and, and if he didn't eat the marshal, then would Satan never enter his body and, and nothing would have happened? I'm, I'm just curious on what the take of that is. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good question. What you're talking about is actually um, from John's gospel, right? So uh, so the, the, in the Last Supper account, there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then there's John. Like, John is the only one that includes the foot washing, for example. And John's gospel does include this thing about dipping the morsel. Now, remember, prior to the Last Supper, um, Judas had already planned to betray Jesus, Right. So he's looking for the right time to, to do that. And so when he dipped the morsel in, you know, uh, it was at the point in, in the Last Supper where, Ju where Judas said, OK, now's the time for me to go do what I need to do. You know, uh, now that I know that the Lord is going to uh, where he's going to be after the meal is over, 
you know, after the Last Supper is over, he's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where I can, you know, go and tell the soldiers that's where they're going to meet him. Because remember, um, Jesus didn't uh, let all the apostles know ahead of time when the Last Supper was going to, where it was going to be held, because he didn't want to be uh, captured early. So Judas had to wait until uh, a, a certain part of the meal where he knew where Jesus was going to be. And, th and this happened after. When he says that Satan entered him, I don't think he literally entered him. I think that's when the um, Judas knew that where Jesus was going to be and the time is going to come to betray him. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hey, glad you could join us for Open Line Thursday with uh, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers uh, filling in today for Father Brian Milady. I'm Tom Price. Uh, Jack uh, Williams was uh, pulled away for just a few moments. He'll be back a little bit later on. Let me tell you about this. Our EWTN radio partner, Catholic Spirit Radio in Illinois, conducting their spring carathon next week. Catholic Spirit Radio serving Illinois with six FM stations. Their theme this spring, Jesus, I Trust in You. Hey, no matter where you're listening, whether it's Northern Illinois or anywhere, please support your Catholic radio station. All right, back to the phones right now. And uh, if a line does become available, here's the number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Patrick listening to us in Florida on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind today, sir? Yeah, I got a question. I'm a Vietnam vet. Yes, sir. And I know killing is supposed to be a mortal thing. But if I kill someone, if I kill the enemy, if he's going to kill me, I know that's not a sin. However, if I'm going to a village, I went to a village, and there's bunkers in the village, and we didn't know if the enemy was in that bunker or not, so we threw hand grenades in there. Turned out, there was one enemy in there, but there was also four or five kids in there. And they all got killed. So did I commit a sin? Okay, Deacon Harold? Oh. Yeah, so in order for a sin to be mortal, three things must be true and present at the same time. It has to be grave matter, and the sin has to be done with full knowledge and deliberate consent of the will. Okay, and, and then when that happens, you lose sanctifying grace that you need to get to heaven. Now, when it comes to the commandments, and, and the benchmark for grave matter is violation of one of the Ten Commandments. Now, when you talked about um, killing, you're correct, um, because the, the sense for in, in Exodus uh, for the thou shalt not kill is the taking of innocent life, okay, is the taking of innocent life. Uh, when it says thou shalt not kill. And the word there in Hebrew expresses that very clearly. So obviously in a war situation, you know, um, where you're fighting against an enemy, that would not uh, uh, violate the, 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 the taking of innocent life because you're in a combat situation. Um, now, when, when you went to that bunker, well, first of all, and I also want to thank you for, for your service. But when you went to that bunker, you, you know, the assumption was made 
that there were enemies in the bunker because that's who's that's typically who's in bunkers are your enemies. Yeah. Right. When you're at a battlefield, the enemy is in the bunker. Mm-hmm. You did not know. There's no way you could have known that there were children or anyone else besides the enemy in that bunker. Now, if it was a house, that's one thing. But in a bunker situation where typically that's where the enemy hides and that's where they take uh, refuge, you had no idea. So when you threw that hand grenade in there, you know, you 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 made the assumption that you were going after an enemy. You weren't deliberately. So the deliberate consent of the will was not there uh, because you said, oh, I know there's children in there, too. So I'm going to throw this hand grenade in there. That wasn't the case. You assumed that it was an enemy that was there. So therefore, that would lessen the culpability of that uh, of that act, and therefore, it would not be a a mortal sin in that case. All right, and Patrick, thanks again for your service. We hope that's helpful for you. Thank you so much for your call. Open line Thursday with Deacon Harold today here on EWTN. Let's go to Patterson now in Woodbridge, Virginia, listening on YouTube this afternoon. Patterson, what's on your mind today? Hey, Deacon Harold Burke, how you doing? Doing well, thank you, Patrick. Uh, no, Patterson. 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 Patterson, yeah, sorry. I keep thinking yeah. of Patterson, New Jersey, who's ah. <laughs> near where I grew and, up. So. And, 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 <laughs> but what's interesting is by you saying I did talk to you years ago, I used to live in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Oh, you know there you and, go. All right. And, and I'm originally from New York. I'm originally from New York, but I moved to Jersey and like years ago, but now I'm in Virginia. All right. All right. Okay. But um, now my question, because I hear you talk about, and times past, I heard on YouTube talking about women being strong. Like when you go into mm-hmm. the book of Genesis, a woman was made for your battle partner, things of that nature. Yes. All right? Yes. Now the context where I'm going is First Peter 3 and 7, which says the woman is the weaker vessel. And maybe you could give me like clarity and context with that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my comments b- uh, before... Uh, is talking about from the book of Genesis chapter two, where it says it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And the word is actually help mate in Hebrew, ezer konegdo. It's a compound word, which means someone who stands opposite or parallel to you, who helps, aids, assists, surrounds, protects, and defends in battle. Right? So God wanted to create a battle partner for the man. What's the battle going to be against? Sin and death. They fight together. When you look at, so a woman's a warrior. She's strong um, in, 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 in her dignity before God, uh, along with the man. If you look in Proverbs chapter 31, right near the, the last chapter of Proverbs, it says that a woman girds her loins and, and makes her arms strong. Now, girding the loins was something that men did when they prepared for battle. That was when they would take their tunic and they would put the excess tunic between their legs and tie it around their waist. And now their legs were free and they were ready for battle. Proverbs 31 says a woman girds her loins and makes her arms strong. Right? Because Again, a beautiful parallel to what's going on in Genesis. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 3, you have to understand what's going on here. Context, context, context. Peter are talking to a group of men who are pagans, who are coming into the church, who are used to treating their women like property like things, right? So now he's saying, okay, look, now that you're Christians, you have to understand your role as a man in marriage is to serve, protect, and defend your spouse. 
And one of the reasons he gives is because she's weaker. And the, the word weaker there is asteneo in Greek. It means physically weaker. It, they, it's a word that they, they use for a support column that has a crack in it, that has a weakness in it. It doesn't mean she's spiritually weaker, mentally weaker, emotionally weaker. In fact, I would say women are more emotionally stronger than men. That's not the context. He's saying here you cannot physically, emotionally, uh, or, or any other way abuse your wife like you are used to doing. Now you're becoming Christians. You have to, It says live considerately with your wives, bestowing honor on the woman as the weaker sex. So in other words, you have to use your strength as a man to build her up spiritually, emotionally, and not to, to use her strength to beat her and to bring her down. That's the context in which Peter is talking there. Does that make sense, Patterson? Yes, it definitely helps, man. And um, props to New York, New Jersey, you know what I'm saying? Hey, <laughs> the Bloomfield, man. to the you house. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Absolutely. All right. Peace <laughs> out, bro. All right. All hey, right. Patterson, thanks so much for your call. Appreciate that. It is Open Line Tuesday, uh, Thursday with Deacon Harold Berg Sivers filling in today for uh, Father uh, Milady. Let's go now to Maurice, a first-time caller from Detroit, listening on Sirius XM, Channel 130. Hey there, Maurice. What's on your mind today, sir? How you doing? And I, I'm, I'm glad to get in and, and, and get with you guys. Um, my question is, there are two baptisms in, in the New Testament, of Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and Jesus' name. And I wanted to know, why do we baptize in the Father, Son, Holy Ghost uh, instead of Jesus' name? And if we baptize in Jesus' name, is that incorrect? Okay, so we baptize in the name of the Trinity because that's what Jesus said to do. In Matthew chapter 28, 19, remember, Matthew 28 is the last chapter of Matthew's gospel. Uh, verse 19 is a few verses right before the end. And where what's often called what Jesus gives us the Great Commission. He goes, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's a very clear mandate by Jesus Christ. Now, within that baptism, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are baptizing in the name of Jesus, along with the Father and the Son. Because remember, we talk about, well, God is the creator. Well, yes, all of God creates. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit create. Uh, the, the, Jesus brought our salvation, yes, but it's God who brings salvation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we have to see all of the, uh, the, the members of the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity working together in on all the acts that, that they accomplish, including baptism, which is why Jesus gives us that Trinitarian formula. Does that make sense for you, Maurice? Thank you. Thank you. You are most welcome. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. couple of open lines and still plenty of time for your calls. Tom is in Grand Rapids, Michigan today, and he is listening to us on Holy Family Radio. Tom, you're on with Deacon Harold. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate this show. It's so edifying and uh, instructional. I have a very, I would call it kind of strange, God put on my heart today to call and ask this question because uh, there's a story involved here. I'll make it quick as I can. Back in 1964, ancient history, I was in second grade. I wrote an essay. Must have been an assignment. I don't know what the topic was supposed to be, but I wrote it. I remember writing the words. I'm ready to cry. Judas Iscariot was a scapegoat, and I think that's terrible. I, it's on my heart today because it's the thread I'm cutting. It's right now, and I, I, when I was had a terrible sin, I, why would I write such a, such a crazy? God did not use him as a 
scapegoat. He he tries to attack. Jesus tried to, you know, forgive him and, and turn him from his his way, his greed with the money. He held the purse for the apostles. I mean, why would I don't know why I thought that and wrote that, but I mean, uh, I'm taking it to confession tomorrow. But I just want to know your take on that. Was that a okay. terrible sin of an eight year old or what? I'm very upset about no. it. No, <laughs> no, not at all, Tom. See, here's here's who's the scapegoat. Jesus Christ is the scapegoat. Okay, this is this is how it worked. If you look at the book of Leviticus, Tom, one of the ways that sin was forgiven, communal sin. So when the entire people of Israel were sinning, what the the uh, high priest would do, they would the people would shout out their sins. They and the priest would hear them. He would lay his hands on top of a goat. Okay, and so he would lay his hands on top of the head of the goat. And therefore transferring, symbolically transferring the sins of the people onto the goat. The goat would then be driven out of the uh, out of the city, out of the area, and then the, the, the uh, goat would die in the desert. And when the goat died, the sins of the people died with the goat. That's where the name scapegoat comes from. Okay? So Jesus is the one on the cross who takes all of our sins upon himself. And when he died, our sins died with it because he rose from the dead. That's the idea of the scapegoat. So as an eight-year-old writing about Judas, no, Judas wasn't the scapegoat. Jesus was. Does that help, Tom? That is wonderful. God bless you so much. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Not to mention, Deacon, that's not exactly a novel idea either, is it? <laughs> yeah. Tom's not the first person that's, right. that's come to that conclusion, eight years old or otherwise. 833 ewtn is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Jesse is in Chattanooga, Tennessee, watching us on YouTube. Jesse, you're on with Deacon Harold. Yes, sir. I want to thank you for taking my call. When Jesus was sent out to be tempted of the devil, which deal did sent him out there? I mean, you, I know you believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes. So the uh, in, in um, Luke's Luke chapter four tells us it was the Holy Spirit that impelled Jesus to go into the desert. Why? You know, it, it, Jesus went there because remember he wanted to, to take uh, all of the experiences that we had as human beings. Like for example, Jesus did not have to be baptized. He's the Son of God. He but he did the baptism because he's entering into the human experience. And he wanted to show his solidarity and his unity with humanity by being baptized, right? And so he wanted to show his uh, his uh, oneness with us, his, his unity and solidarity with us by entering into the desert to be tempted. Why? Because human beings are tempted, right? And so he was tempted by the devil to show that his love and his mercy and his death and resurrection conquers sin and temptation. So he gives us the model and the courage to fight temptation in our own lives, right? So that's why he was tempted, to give us the model of how we are to overcome temptation in our very lives. But because the Holy Spirit directed him to go into the desert, it doesn't mean the Father and the Son were without uh, ascent, huh? Oh, no, that, that's correct. Right, that's correct. So when they said the Holy Spirit drove him in into the desert to be tempted— Again, the, again, remember what we said with the last caller, the Trinity works together, right? So it wasn't like they were trying to make Jesus fall into temptation. They went in there so he could have the full experience of humanity so that he could redeem uh, human nature. So he had to experience the things that we experience as human beings, all things except sin, 
so that he could conquer that on the cross. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still a couple of open lines at 833-288-3986. Megan says, how can I keep – this is something that's going on in your household. How can I keep my faith when I go to college? Oh yeah. Woo. That's a good, that's a good question. Um, well, here's the thing, Megan. Uh, first of all, there's a great book. Um, the, uh, uh author's escaping me. The girl she, from how did, Harvard. How did, how did I stay Catholic at Harvard? Yes. Right. Uh, get that book. It's really well done. She does a great job, uh, explaining how she can, how she kept her faith in the midst of a very secular environment. Second of all, Make sure you per, uh, um, become part of the Newman Center on, on whatever college campus you're going to. I just spoke, for example, at Minnesota State University a couple weeks ago. Man, you know, very secular school, but they had a wonderful Newman Center. Great staff, amazing priests, uh, and, and it was so beautiful. I went to adoration there, uh, holy sacrifice of the mass. I gave a talk to the college students, and they were on fire. You know, I was ve- I was deeply impressed with with the with the uh, the Catholic spirituality of the of the college students there. So make sure you become part of that Newman Center. And third, I would say always go to Mass and Eucharistic Adoration. If you stay close to the Lord, uh, Megan, He will stay close to you. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's eight three three two eight eight. Three nine eight six. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Jeff wants to know: Is God the creator of all life, and can He make mistakes? Yes, God is the creator of all life, and no, God cannot make any mistakes. Right? So, so we make mistakes as human beings because we're human. By our very nature, we make mistakes. We do sin. But God himself cannot make any mistakes and does not sin. So, for example, well, what about uh, Down syndrome? And what about this? And what about aren't they mistakes? Well, no. We're still dealing with the effects, the ripple effects of original sin. You know, so there are things that happen in the world um, be, because we're, which will not exist when Jesus comes back to, to, um, uh, to you reunite the kingdom and hand it back over to his father. You know, the, the, the church is that, that, that unblemished, spotless lamb of God, you know, but we're still dealing with the effects of sin, even within our own church. So the church is the spotless bride of Christ, but there are sinners in the church, right, that make mistakes and, and cause problems. But, but God himself uh, cannot make any mistakes. Next stop is Miamisburg, Ohio. Doreen is listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Doreen, you're on with Deacon Harold. Hello. Hi, Doreen. What's your question? Um, I went to confession yesterday, and um, it's the first confession that I've been to in a while. I have a lot of health problems, and, of course, during COVID, you know, we weren't going to church. And uh, my husband's not Catholic, but he was sweet enough to buy me some fellowship cups. I didn't even know you could get them with the wafer, and it's not wine, it's grape juice. And I would watch, um, I have memory problems, but I would watch um, one of the Catholic um, masses where they would read the prayer because you weren't able to be at the church, 
and and told you that that was you you know take the place of you having communion at that time. But I also took the um, fellowship cups that my husband bought, and I would put them underneath the TV on a shelf as the priest prayed over the Eucharist on the TV. And I would pray my heart out, and when people would go up and take it, I would take it as well. And I truly believe that I was taking um, the host. Um, and about, when I brought it, yeah, what, when I brought it, yeah. What about that notion, Harold, of uh, something in your residence being consecrated from a television mass? Yeah, that 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 doesn't work. It's 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 the same thing as trying to go to confession on the phone. Or through Skype or or something like that, it, it doesn't work. You have to be there in in person. See, in order for in order for um, the Eucharist to be valid, you have to have matter and form and intention. Okay, so you have to have the the, the right matter. Uh, in our in the Latin rite in the in the Roman Church is is unleavened bread, grape wine, and the priest has to have the intention of consecrating uh, what's before him there on on the altar. By you watching on television, the priest has no way of knowing what you're doing. So his intention cannot be to consecrate that. Um, he, he can't do that long distance like that. It has to be there um, during the holy sacrifice of the Mass. I mean, I, I see where your heart is, Doreen. Um, and, and so when we, when that prayer happens, it's called uh, when you're not at Mass, it's called spiritual communion. But it does not take the place of actual receiving the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus in, in, in Holy Communion at Mass. It doesn't take the place of that because you can't get there. You make a spiritual communion. Um, and so, yeah, you received, you know, the, the, the it's just bread and, and literally bread and grape juice uh, from the communion, communion pack, but that's all that you received. Um, the only way you can receive the Eucharist is actually be in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass or if in a, uh, uh, a priest or a deacon or an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion brings communion to your home. That's what I would recommend is that you have, you call your church, have someone from the local church, priest, deacon, or if necessary, an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, if they're properly trained to bring communion to you. That way, you know, you're receiving the, the, the true body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus. God bless you, Doreen. You'll remain in our prayers. Jim is in Atlanta, Georgia, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jim, you're on with Deacon Harold. Hi, God bless you guys, both of you. All you do and have a great Easter. Um, Jesus, our Lord's death on the cross, seems to restore the relationship between God and man. However, if Jesus took upon himself all our sins there, why do we still have to go to confession? I go to confession. Ah. <laughs> I want to hear what yeah. you have to say about that. Okay, okay. So, yes, Jesus took all of our sins upon himself, but we still need we still need to, uh, so for example, so in Leviticus chapter 5, it says, uh, the first four verses list a whole bunch of sins. And verse 5 says, if a man is guilty of any of these, the sins of verses 1 through 4, he shall confess the sin he has committed. And he shall bring for his guilt offering for the sin he has committed a lamb or a sheep or a goat. So in order for the sin to be forgiven, you have to confess the sin and you had to bring an offering, okay? Then the priest, you bring it to the priest and the priest is the one who forgives your sins. Jesus says, remember Jim, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So we no longer have to bring a sheep or, or goat. Why? Because Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
right? And, but we still have to go to the priest, which is why in John chapter 20, starting at verse 19, in that upper room, Jesus appeared before the apostles, breathed on them, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So Jesus did not get rid of the priesthood as a means of forgiving sins. What Jesus is saying now, you don't have to bring an offering. I made the offering. I am the offering. But you still have to bring yourself to the priest. Everything that separates you from, from my love, your your pornography addiction, your anger, your resentment, your your um, your uh, uh, your any sin that separates you from the power of God's love, you bring that to the priest. And when you hear the words of absolution, you're hearing the words of Jesus through the priest. And that's how, that's the sure way that we know that the sin is forgiven, that the slate is wiped clean. And quickly, we'll head to Cincinnati, Ohio. Jonathan is listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Jonathan, just a couple minutes left with Deacon Harold. What's your question today? Uh, hi, guys. Thanks so much for taking my call, and uh, happy Holy Week to you and yours. So my question is uh, technical metaphysics. With the modern transgender movement, they often say, you know, I'm a man born in a woman's body or vice versa. Now, to my understanding, the soul is the formal cause of the human person, but it's the biological matter, you know, our physical bodies, which are sexed. So how does gender or sexual sex uh, and the soul fall together? Is it uh, developed from there or is it implanted in us when God uh, gives us life at conception? Okay. So Genesis is very clear, right? When, when God says um, male and female, he created them in Genesis chapter 127 and following. Male and female, he created them. So there's only two genders, okay? So whether that's a male or female, um, God impart when, when sperm and egg meet, God in, 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 in imbues that new life with a soul, right? And then that be, that's when they become a, a living uh, being, a human person. Uh, sperm and egg meet, God in, in, imbues that with a soul, and that's where you have a human person. That human person is either male or female. Now, of course... There's some anomalies that happen, uh, you know, because of genetics and things like that. Those are the exceptions, not the more, not the norm. But there are only two male here, and that happens at the moment of conception. Deacon Harold, would you leave us with a blessing? Sure, may Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, our producer Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Check out our schedule for the remainder of Holy Week at EWTN.com slash radio. Click on schedule. Enjoy your triduum. God bless. <laughs>